Good evening, and welcome to episode one of Screen Tone Club for the 8th of July, 2018. My name is Elliot Page, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Andy Hanley. Hello there. I'm I'm glad that you got the title of the podcast right, because I suspect I would probably have got it wrong. Yeah, um, let's not not talk about the versions and takes that got discarded before we even even started the podcast. Um, (laughs) This is a new podcast, um, which is going to be focusing on manga. Um, I'm a big fan of manga, so is Andy. That's why we're here. Um, And we figured they'd be nice to have a venue to talk about it. Um, one thing in particular we're aiming to do with this podcast, because we're both um, both very lazy but also very busy people, is that we want to keep this show nice and tight and focus it on the manga and nothing else. It'll be very easy to slip into the whole like two and a half hours, three hour podcast about anything and everything. And we figured, oh, well, let's just do a podcast about manga, keep it tight, r- tell people what we're going to read beforehand so they can follow along if they like to, um, read it discuss it amongst ourselves um very important for my mind is that we both get to read the thing if possible we can make exceptions we make the show and then we can talk about manga um it's also a good excuse for us to actually read all the stuff in my case i keep buying it and then not reading it and i think andy is in the same kind of boat probably yeah i'm kind of in the in the boat where i used to carve out a, a decent chunk of time most weekends to read manga and I've just fallen terribly out of that habit, so I, I need something to force me at gunpoint, if necessary, to do that again. So this seems like a good vehicle for that, because uh, I, I know you're pretty good with firearms. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Cool. Um, so, yeah, as mentioned, we're going to be looking at things and telling you what we're going to be listening to ahead of time. At the moment, our current plan is to have the podcast be fortnightly, so every two weeks, which gives us time to read things and also you time to read things. And as a forewarning, we might dabble into light novels as well, because I know that I keep buying the damn things and don't ever read them. And I probably should, because else that's just a waste of time, really, for everyone. Um, I know you, you're the one who suggested it as well, Andy, so you're just as complicit in this crime yeah absolutely so yeah um as a quick introduction for those who don't know who we are already um if you don't mind i'll go first because it's probably the shorter description uh, my name's elliot page i used to host the podcast on uk-anime.net the uk anime network which i did for far too long frankly when i looked back at the archive um had a great time doing it but i've since left the site because i really wasn't contributing much to it quite frankly um and carved out my own little time to do my own side projects which i'll plug at the end of the episode but yeah i just kind of missed talking about manga and and so, hence, elbowed and Andy in the ribs. So, Andy, want to give a little quick description of yourself? Yep, certainly. So, yeah, my, my name is Andy Hanley, as has been established. Um, I was formerly the editor-in-chief of the UK Anime Network um, and and the intrepid uh, co-host of the UK Anime Network podcast for, uh, again, far too many years. Um, I am now the marketing manager for Anime Limited which is one of the the holy trinity of UK anime distributors. Um, I was going to say leading, but then everybody else in the industry then kind of puffs their chest and go, oh, really, are you? And, you know, I don't know. I don't have that argument, at least not on episode one. And without um, a drink. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, my, my main dealings on, on a daily basis are, are anime, but obviously... I don't think anybody needs to uh, to be told about the symbiotic relationship between anime and manga, so I can probably leave that uh, conversation unhad. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, we just you know we've done podcasting before. Um, as I say, we wanted to be able to talk about manga, and you know, as mentioned earlier, and I just want to emphasize, but yeah, we're not going to talk about everything and anything. Like no news, um, in particular, because it just bloats things out. Um, but yeah, 
as this is our first episode, we're going to keep things a little different and talk about one series between the pair of us in future episodes. We're going to each pick one series and then both of us will go off and read them and then we can come back and share our thoughts to have a good joint discussion about it. But for the moment, we can talk about something else um, that we have both been watching. Whoops, sorry, reading. Jeez, oh, I've got to get out of that habit, haven't I? Um, but it is um, the Margaret Genshkin second season, which recently wrapped up its run after the last volume was published in English by Kadansha. Um and yeah, so this series is, well, the second season. It's a return for the author, um, Kyo. I forget the name. Wow. This went off the rails fast. Kyo um, Thank you. Yes. Um, and so yeah, this is a return to this manga. The original manga, Genshiken, was a nine volume series about the life and times of university anime and manga club. Um, which then eventually kind of quietly settled in and ended. And Genshin's second season was the author taking back up the pen and coming back to this series with a new cast of characters who come in at the start of the season and you kind of get to go through approximately a year of their life in the club. And it brings back old characters and new characters. And it's basically another look, um, but transposed in time, of the, your prototypical slash slightly anime slash manga-ified, um, like anime and manga nerd club i don't know about you but in my universe actually you didn't go to university andy whoops um but like in my university we had like the anime club the sci-fi club and the other club which was a weird split of the sci-fi club because of drama um so that's kind of what this what genjikan is it's the third club from people who don't want to go into the anime or manga clubs specifically and these are the weirdos who kind of hang out in a strange club room and are surrounded by doujins um, but yeah, Andy, as you're the person who sort of broached this um, series as the one we'd, we'd cover for this first episode, do you want to like get us started talking about it? What, how you felt, and what what made you want to talk about it for this episode? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was it's kind of in a way this this is kind of tying back to our former podcast where you know I, I think Genshin was something that that came up quite frequently between us. Like we both kind of have a certain amount of love for it. We certainly both have a lot of opinions about both the original Genshin and second season. Yeah. Um, and uh, kind of as, as a nice warm up for this podcast, I I knew it was something that we could have a lot of discussion about. I I don't have anybody I can talk about like the ending to second season of. I think I saw you tweet or post something about it a little while back. So uh, I was kind of curious because much like the first season of Genshin, like this series goes some places, and I feel like. I don't know. I've, I've not really kept up with sort of the the wider discourse around it, but I suspect if it's anything like the original Genshin, it's probably kind of divisive in terms of where people sit on it. So I, I kind of wanted to to chew the breeze a little bit, especially about kind of the the later volumes and the the, the way the series ends to to kind of see what our uh, our collective takes are on on that uh, on that series. Cool. Yeah. I mean, um, as a quick note, we will try and avoid flagrant spoilers, but we will, as we want to talk about the whole series, there may be some later on. So we will try and demarcate those for people. Um, yeah, I think the main thing about it being on the UK, the previous podcast we did is that I was the idiot who was being an awful person and reading the scans as they came out in Japan, um, month on month, which was terrible because, it was kind of torture because each chapter was like another new brick in the ongoing storyline. And I was chomping at the bit for it because I dearly love the Genshin characters. And it was a case of like, oh man, oh man. And so I was the person who quite often in the podcast was one going like, who boy, Andy, don't do what I'm doing and being an idiot and reading this thing as it's coming out and getting really frustrated and pet up about it. So <laughs> to, to, to be fair, to be fair, like reading it volume on volume 
wasn't really much better because that that series, even in its kind of volume breakdown, has some pretty big cliffhangers and like, oh, you can't leave it there kind of moment. So I feel like I I feel like I had that less frequently because I was reading it in volumes, but I still definitely had those moments. Yeah, I feel like the the one thing about Genshin that may, that I kind of feel is that like the the cliffhangers aren't really ex, aren't really like on purpose if that makes sense like they feel more just like natural ending points of like well here's where we'll leave it for this episode folks like it's not like uh, like a lot of shonen manga i suppose is the one that is predicated upon cliffhangers constantly occurring where it's like oh we need something to hook people for next week's jump so we'll have someone look shocked at a shadow this time <laughs> and then page one of next week's chapter they reveal the shadow to be just a chicken or something and then everyone gets on with their lives so, you know, Genshin doesn't quite do that. It just has the ongoing social lives of these idiots. It just so happens that idiots are being idiots, I suppose, really. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, it, it does tend to kind of stumble into those those big kind of, you know, cliffhanger moments. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right on that uh, on that count. Yeah. So one thing, as you mentioned, the discourse, like the main the main thing that is, well, whatever, let's just step on this landmine. But the main sort of character that the series revolves around um, in, well, one of two, I suppose, looking back on it, um, is a character called Kenjiro Hato, um, who is perhaps the most divisive character or the one that caused the most like sort of virtual ink to be spilled and even spawned several fanzines, I know for a fact. Um, in fact, I, I got a PDF of one of them on my desktop right now. Um, but Kenjiro Hato is a male character who joins the Genjikin, but when he's first introduced is cross-dressing as a girl. Um, he's a Fudanshi, which means that he's a boy who likes boys love manga, um, yaoi doujins and all that, um, but cross-dresses as a girl to basically ingratiate himself with the crew and feels more comfortable. And there's a whole series long unpacking of the history behind that and various neuroses and you know other sort of things that and how other people react to that like some characters like one of his f f um, an extra freshmen yoshitake is very sort of whatever because she kind of doesn't care about anything really and yajima who is another freshman who is another new character to genshin who is kind of flatly against it and no small part of that is due to jealousy um because like she's a slightly larger lass and doesn't really see us she doesn't really um bother that much with like the girly girl feminine stuff but still feels very inferior by comparison also because they both do drawing and yajima doesn't like her drawing and isn't all that good frankly whereas hato is quite good at art with some strange caveats that the series gets into but hato i think was definitely the like main pillar and also the thing that made everyone talk a lot about the series um what do you think generally about hato and how he plays in this series yeah, I mean, uh, to be fair, like over the course of that series, I think I really liked Hato's arc, his journey over the course of that series. And yeah, like he is very much, I would say probably the primary focus of it. Like it's tempting to look at other other characters, Madarame in particular, and say, you know, maybe it's his story but i think primarily it is hato's and yeah i got some thoughts yeah. on that i got some thoughts on that as well to come sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, but yeah like it is very much hato's story for, for the most part and certainly like in the in the early running he kind of dominates you know the the narrative and, and all the the major things that happen but i know like i i enjoyed it i, I liked the way it progressed you know you started off with you know what seemed like a relatively simple kind of you know set of circumstances but as the kind of layers and backstory come into that you kind of I don't know like I always felt like he was a character that was easy to kind of sympathize with and understand um, and it, it never felt like it, it would have been so easy to write that character 
and just throw together a bunch of neuroses just to make kind of a character that could be the central of all the drama. But there's something grounded about the way Hato thinks about himself and the way he thinks about how other people perceive him or will perceive him as, as he believes they will that that made all of that stuff work for me like I feel like from beginning to end I was always kind of on his side and I never really had any moments where I kind of like took a step back and said like I don't this this just doesn't gel for me anymore so yeah I, I really I really liked what they did with that character um especially given kind of the subject matter I was always you're always a bit worried that it's going to kind of take the wrong sort of tone with it. But I feel like it always managed to, to keep it on, on just about the right level. Yeah. I think the one thing, I think there's two things in particular that I like with how Hato is handled both individually and in the series as a whole is one of which is that like, you know, the cross-dressing and transgender characters in anime often sort of like through accident or intent fall into various tropey sort of standards and almost like just boiled down to like, almost slurs in some ways as ways of just sort of boiling down their character um and hato is interesting because like a lot of those other facile sort of otaku tropes get bounced against him like at, at one point um hato like when in um using when at madarame's house as a changing room um finds a copy of like a um a cross-dressing character's um, visual novel like a neurotic visual novel um and there is a short discussion about that of basically like yeah this thing has its own weird realities and its own weird fantasies but it's totally not reality you know i'm i'm here um so that was always quite interesting was it would throw the like the tropes inside anime against the reality of admittedly a fictitious character within a fictional construct but it was very interesting to see how that got played out and also in particular with hato is that hato himself is very much still discovering what all this means to him and what he wants to do with it and how it affects him and like even otherizes himself in quite a lot of spaces like you get the whole like floating character of himself in the ceiling sort of thing which goes on for a good number of volumes that i almost forgot about entirely because that goes through several stages of being resolved and unresolved and hato himself like is in a great stage of self-discovery and like independence because like he's going to university he's finally away from his family and a lot of the pressures in that he's away from high school and much like you know university or sort of young adult life in particular more correctly i suppose is embarking on a journey of self-discovery which unsurprisingly is long-winded messy and has some collateral damage along the way Mm. Yeah, and I, I think that that whole kind of like fantasy versus, and, and tropes versus reality angle is is one that, uh, that the series plays with really smartly. I mean, kind of, you know, one of Hato's big kind of issues is that he's a boy who reads a lot of boys love manga and et cetera, et cetera. And part of that kind of self-discovery is trying to kind of pick apart that okay, I, I like this fictional material, but like, what does that mean to my reality in terms of, you know, my, my interests, my predilections, you know, my, my sexuality. And, you know, I think that's, that's actually a really interesting kind of broader discussion, even beyond the personal thing of, you know, like, you know, does, does the, the, the content that you consume, be it pornographic or otherwise, you know, does, does that actually or can that, you know, change your, your interests and, you know, your kinks, whatever they are, or, or is it, you know, is it simply just, just a fantasy that can, can be brushed aside like that? And it's, it's an interesting thing that the, the series kind of plays with, especially in, in the early running, like it, it has a lot, it spends a lot of time kind of thinking about and trying to unpack that stuff via kind of Hato's character in terms of, you know, while he's trying to figure out 
who he is and, and kind of what he what he wants from from life and, and from his relationships you know there's a there, there's a lot of kind of complexity to to that and and that's kind of one of his big struggles that uh it's, it's not really something that you tend to see manga kind of tackle especially when it's in such a kind of a, a self-referential way effectively yeah i mean Genshin is no stranger to that admittedly because like the first series had some of that as well although from a slightly more standard perspective where Ogiwe um who is now the president of the Genshin um who has paintbrush hair um is now slightly grumpy but is now the head of Genshin is now trying to shepherd her like little circle of lovable idiots um along and like a whole big tension of her was basically that she drew like yaoi fan art of like one of the club president and her like hopefully boyfriend and that was a whole thing she had to unpack and this is something that they come back to although in a much more interesting different angle with hato um but one thing i'll say definitely is like you know hato as part of the greater what section is um one thing about genshin that i was hopeful for and still exists and arguably exists more than at the end of genshin the original series but i i do wish there was more of the old cast i mean you know Madarame, like Moe's Moe's Man Alive, um, comes back for this series and plays quite a large part in it. Perhaps too large if you had to make me argue. Um, but some of the old cast come back, but don't do a lot. Um, I mean, some of them aren't in the club anymore and are off doing their own careers, like Kuga, um, Kugapi and um, Tanaka. They're off doing their own life, um, and so they pop in every now and then, and it's nice to see them whenever they do. Um, but you've got a number of characters, including Ono, who is just kind of there, um, and acts mostly as a plot catalyst for most of the time. In fact, quite a lot of the other characters, when you look at it long term, the series unfortunately has an unfortunate tendency to drive a lot of its characters just into a catalyzing role, which admittedly is still fun because you've got Yoshitake there basically like trying to be a mastermind and being garbage at it. Um, but that's just something, maybe it's just a personal thing, but I do. I almost wish there was a Genshin Gaiden, which was just like, hey, here's this other bunch of like young adult out of university nerds dealing with, you know, life. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess the, the interesting part about that is, again, it sort of feels like there's a certain realism to it in that all of those characters who have sort of moved on from, from their university life are basically, whenever they turn up on screen, it's just like, we're busy, we're just working all the time, we're not really doing anything interesting. And it, it kind of almost feels like, yeah, maybe that is a lazy kind of like hands in the air, like, eh, I don't really have anything left I want to do with these characters. But there is a kind of certain sense of like, look, we're just salary men now, like, you know, at, at best we'll, we'll have the odd night out for drinks. But, you know, we're, we're basically just like wall to wall working these days and such, such is life. Yeah, meanwhile, when they do come out for drinks, that's when at least three different important plot events happen. So <laughs> important things do happen around booze, it turns out. Yeah, I, I mean, again, very realistic for, for Japan. Like, important yeah. things happen when the drinks start playing. And the business world, I suppose. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, you've got Ono, to sort of tangent on that slightly, you've got Ono, who is now in her fourth year of university and still hangs around the club room because she's avoiding writing up. But she's basically become the cosplay queen um and that's kind of it which is a shame because she's a really f- excuse me oh huh, that'd be an edit um she's an interesting character but is basically just there to do cosplay gags and also like have about three chapters where she's worried about her future and then that gets resolved which i guess maybe there's just enough stuff going on but it's still a shame but yeah I don't know, i'm just yeah. i'm just i just want to pick that for a second yeah no i i think i think that that is true i mean i feel like even the original genshiken kind of had that issue with her where she kind of gets her arc as, as far as like her relationships and stuff like that goes and then she kind of gets pushed to the background somewhat even then um but yeah second season 
doesn't really do do much more with her apart from like you say that kind of really interesting oh god like what am i going to do with my future segment which i i guess it's probably good that they kept that relatively brief i could see that outstaying it's welcome pretty quickly because it's been done a million times before and there's maybe only so much you can say about that kind of existential dread um but uh but yeah like it, she, she doesn't get all that much play but beyond as you say kind of being rolled out to to progress other other plot points for other characters mostly yeah, I mean, it's mostly because, as you know, I was because Genshin second season is oddly enough eleven volumes, so it's longer than the original one. Um, and I sort of skimmed through it um, for this, re-skimmed back through it for this um, recording, and it kind of struck me how the main ongoing plot line that kind of almost like incepts in volume three slash four is what then later becomes affectionately known as the Madarame Harem. I thought it was like much later than that, but the initial sort of starting bell of what is what eventually becomes the overriding and kind of overwhelming plot line is basically about um former club chairman Madarame, he of the thin round glasses and snaggletooth um as previously mentioned um, the moas man alive um he is still hanging around the club room and this kind of gets back to your point about the people who've moved away from the genshin and are busy with their lives is that Madarame is kind of doing a crappy salaryman job but still hangs around the club room a lot and hangs around the university because he hasn't really got any other driving forces and so this series kind of picks up from the first series of manga and kind of goes through a big load of travails of him trying to find his feet and kind of steadfastly not doing so until he ends up with a legitimate, like, honest-to-goodness harem who are all competing for his affections. And of course, they have a lot of time joking about that and saying, oh, this wouldn't happen in real life. Meanwhile, this is a faux real comic where this thing is actually happening. Oh, no. Um, and while it's just one of these things where I sort of look back at it and go, oh, man, this was the entire series, wasn't it? The main structure of this entire series from volume three on was Madarame's idiot romantic pratfalls um, yeah i mean i i didn't really think about it starting quite that early on either like it, it feels kind of thinking back on it as if it was something that obviously et up like the second half of that series but uh but yeah i guess it, it does it does sow the seeds quite early on when when you mention it and uh, you know it kind of it kind of has a slow build up to that stuff but yeah once you get there then that's it you're kind of you're in deep on on that particular uh, plot line yeah so we get um, so going a bit further in the series but like i don't know about you but like i i really like that series mostly because it does spend a lot of time just busting down both Madarame for being an indecisive pillock who basically is like poisoning himself with anime and leaning on it but so is everyone else in some ways especially sue who is basically a living breathing like a meme like sort of one line generator um who's still a great character in her own way despite barely having any, any actual like sensible speech um but yeah i don't know to me that that's that um storyline goes on like one arc too long but i don't know what do you think about it because especially you mentioned the ending so you might as well talk about that now because i feel like you might have something to say about it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. It, it definitely runs too long. I mean, it's it's a strange one because that that particular arc and elements of it have like some of the most powerful moments that, that the series has has produced. And and actually, like beyond even this series, like it, it has it has some of the the most kind of powerful things I feel like I've I've seen or, or read. I mean, the the whole kind of story which continues from the the first um series around kind of Madarame and his his like obviously unrequited and will never be requited kind of love for for Saki Kaskabe like that comes to a head in in this really poignant and beautiful way that was completely unexpected for this series that is you know ultimately like a, a an otaku comedy series but 
it kind of it nailed so much stuff about those characters and about how this thing that had, had dragged on, like I say, from the first series into second season, and it, it was always kind of like bubbling under the surface and cropping up here and there, and that was a really nice piece of closure. Like that's that's a really good example of, of how you close something like that outright because it. You know, it made it clear, like, you know, where things stood, but it did so in, in this really kind of touching way that uh, that was absolutely like the highlight of second season for me. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I don't know, it's, it is a strange one because the whole harem setup kind of brought a lot of enjoyable moments and some really good character interactions, but I I feel like kind of on balance, it probably it probably threw away too much that could have been done with various members of its cast that I kind of found myself jonesing for by the end of it. And I I guess to some extent it depends upon kind of what characters you're the most interested in and and what characters you gravitate to, because I mean, the first series of Genshin has very much the the same thing as, as we mentioned with Ogie and, uh, and Sasahara. And I never had a problem with that in the original Genshin because I really liked both of those characters and I was really invested in kind of their relationship and, and how that would would manifest. Whereas this time around, I don't know, I feel like the the characters that I liked the most weren't really done any kind of justice by the, the story as it ended up panning out. Like, I feel like, you know, Hato's journey, as I mentioned, was interesting throughout, but it still felt like it kind of, it took a little, it always took some of his agency away at times, I guess, I, I feel... And then there are other characters like, I mean, you mentioned Yejima, who, you know, she kind of, she has a lot of interesting stuff that's going on that kind of always gets sidelined. It's always like the sort of the B-tier story when it feels like, you know, what she's going through should, should, you know, be given more focus than it ultimately ends up with. Um, And then Yoshitake kind of never really gets any kind of play in the series like she's always just there as the kind of comedy foil and I feel like there's so much more you could potentially do with that character that just never really comes to pass and so I guess that was my overriding feeling at the end like that a yes it went on too long like and it it felt it felt like it it had sort of a number of points where it could have ended things but it it felt like it had to to go for kind of one last round but perhaps more overridingly I kind of felt like there were other characters that I wanted to see spend more time in the spotlight themselves and not as just kind of part of this sort of the crazy shenanigans that were were sort of circling around uh, Madarame's universe yeah, I, I agree entirely. I mean, the one thing I'll say is that I feel like uh, the one thing about the Madarame universe thing is that I, I complained long, long and hard in previous discussions in previous podcasts about Genshin Series 1 and how by the end of that series, everything was subordinated to the Ogiwe conflict. Um, and every single char- every single discussion, every character was absorbed into this overarching storyline. And while in, like oddly enough i feel like the madarame storyline spreads a wider shadow but is less deep like people have still some room to breathe and kind of escape this idiot harem adventure but still everything that is still the main through line so i feel like that's a bit of a straight bit of a slightly it's gone from a liquid to a gas i suppose is one way of putting it if you want to visualize that but i do agree wholeheartedly about yoshitake who i love like she's an amazing character she's like a massive troublemaker she's kind of not a typical otaku because she's more about like you know warring states era japan than actual anime um and still wants to see dudes get it on i suppose um but like she the main thing she does is she has like a one chapter piece of anxiety about being a ronin who like missed out on university for a year because she missed the exams and then her sister gets introduced um which is interesting but kind of a 
a, a character who kind of gets sidelined as not being not interesting enough and then she kind of is a catalyst for what you think will be the ending of the Madarami storyline but then doesn't become the ending and there's one more mini arc on the end and then there's the big closeout which is kind of weird because looking back on it now i realize that possibly the closing the closing like four chapter like big blowout ending to it could have been almost pulled at any time and like for example if the author got sick of it they could have gone okay time to pull this pub scene and then you know ejected out of the storyline yeah but yeah you, one- you, you you almost suspect that the author always kind of like had that in a drawer somewhere of like if, if they ever say the word cancellation to me or if you'd like to say if i just get bored of this then i'm just gonna slap these in as the next four chapters and it doesn't matter where it'll just work yeah which is sad because as soon as matter madarame ended i remember telling you about this when it was still ongoing i'm like great i can't wait to see what they do next i cannot wait oh it's over Shit. so yeah that's kind of the one sort of full problem the the only real problem i have with the matter harem is that when it ends the whole series ends which sucks so yeah 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 i mean it's it's kind of i guess that that is an an interesting kind of thought there that so you know perhaps had there been another couple of volumes of other stuff going on after that like maybe maybe that kind of softens some of the criticisms of, of how long that that storyline goes on how it ends etc etc but because that that is the kind of the moment where it all cuts off and it, it all comes to a close you know that that just makes it feel so much more like it was the the sole focus and and maybe that that is part of just what what makes it just just a, a tiny bit disappointing yeah but then again like rereading through it for this show i still found myself really enjoying it in fact i meant to skim read it and then i ended up reading three volumes kind of solid and was like oh no i i don't have time to reread the entire thing like intensely but i found myself drew, drawn back into it so despite this nitpicking i still greatly enjoy it like yeah like a lot of a lot of the stuff at the beginning i completely forgot about one thing i'll say definitely is that the art kind of is fascinating because normally in manga like well in most art i suppose like artists will get used to drawing their their wards their characters and they will slightly adapt over the series and they'll change um in this like the first chapter looks a bit tentative especially when it comes to the designs of the new characters and then the second chapter they're like done and they stay that way for the entire rest of the series it's kind of wild like i was not expecting the transition to be like oh no i figured these characters out boosh here you go so yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I've, I've always enjoyed kind of the 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 artwork of, of Genshin as a whole. I mean, the, the typical thing that everybody goes to is like the level of detail in backgrounds on yeah. on both Genshin and Second Season, which is actually such an important part of it. Like, it's it's easy to kind of shrug away and say, oh, it's just like club rooms and bedrooms and stuff." But like, it, important. It does, but yeah, but it does a really good job of kind of like of bringing out that kind of like cluttered otaku lifestyle he says sat in a room full of bookcases and and dvd racks with just like product scattered around everywhere like it's it does a really good job of of like making that feel feel real again it kind of goes back to that that realism thing you know there are so many otaku based kind of comedy shows you know be they anime or or manga or whatever that are are very much focused primarily on the characters and larger than on the the comedy and on kind of larger than life characters who are either kind of you know your sort of wish fulfillment like kanata from lucky star etc etc or just kind of crazy over the top not really believable but but genshin i guess the the reason that i gravitate towards it so much is that and, and i mean the reason i love the original genshin right from the get-go is like sasahara was just a character that i could identify with so absolutely as a kind of burgeoning anime fan who's just like 
I want to hang out with other people like me, but also like I'm really nervous about being accepted by them and actually coming out and saying like, yeah, I'm an otaku to people because it's, you know, something you're kind of always programmed to, to you know, keep your power level hidden, as it were, to use an otaku phrase. Um, and, and I think that's that's the thing that, again, yeah, that I've always enjoyed about this series, like even even when it gets into crazy stuff like harms and what have you, like the, the individual characters are still kind of very grounded and very real in terms of the way they interact with others, the way they, they discuss their kind of interests and, and fandoms. Like it, it all, it all plays, it all scans in a way that's like, yeah, I, I have these conversations on a regular basis with people. This is how it works. And I think mm. that's, that's the thing that, that Genshin does really well. Yeah, definitely. Um, like two things from based off that, like, yeah, definitely how people interact with their passions is like dead on, like, and the same for me with like anime in particular. I mean, hey, it's taken me a long ass time to stop like immediately wanting to like talk shit about myself when I mentioned I like anime. It took a decade plus to get used to that. Um, still have to stop myself from doing the reflex sometimes. <laughs> but also like the one thing you'll say about rooms is definitely like I was about to say like, oh, the art's not all that great. But like the one thing it does do, as you say, is it gets a great sense of scene and there's a lot of passive storytelling through, as you say, the backgrounds. I have to wonder sometimes if the author hates themselves for doing such crazy backgrounds and then keeping it up. But <laughs> the backgrounds do tell you a lot. Like when you go to a character's house, you learn a lot about them, as do the rest of the cast. Like the cast actually react to their circumstance, their surroundings very well. And the adjustment of spaces and how people are in their own spaces matters a lot, which makes it really interesting. Like, you know, Yoshitake's house is a friggin' pit. Um, Hato has a walk in wardrobe, which is very important for them to allow them to separate things out. Um, you know, Madarame has a very well organized and tidy, but still porn filled dungeon. And the Genshin club room itself changes. Like when you, like in the previous series, there were tons of games consoles everywhere, another shite. Then, you know, it's for second season, it's a lot tidier. There's still Hedojin everywhere, but it's all in the shelves. And it's all carefully tidied away. And there's it, the actual, it's a place for people, not just like shite to exist. So that's kind of a big thing. And one thing it does do with the art in particular, you know, the characters always look great, which is the main sort of like foist of the show. Like the characters always look amazing and expressions and such. But the one thing I'll definitely say it does is it has an awful lot of very good like timing panels where it will have a panel where someone's thinking or just trying to get the, a, a way of saying something or reacting and it will dedicate a panel to that, but then not like either smush it up too small or bring it out too large. But it has a lot of those good sort of like pauses where someone goes, Ah, and then it carries on. So it's a very good way of just spacing out the action or, well, speaking, I suppose. But yeah, that's one thing that Genshin does that I really quite enjoy. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, like talking about the, the comedy side of it, you know, it's it's one of the big problems that, that I sometimes come across with, with comedy manga is like, you know comic timing is is difficult enough in in any other visual medium in you know tv or, or anime or, or whatever but to do it in mangas is, is is even more difficult and i feel like a a fair few series flub it because it's just like you know straight into you know here's your setup here's your punchline but genshin knows how to meet that stuff out and if it needs a panel to to kind of you know leave leave the space before the punchline hits then it does it and it's kind of you know whether it's a a, a dramatic thing or a comedy thing like it, it has that feeling of, of of you know taking its time if it needs to that I, I think some manga just kind of fails to do because it's very workmanlike in like oh you know every panel must have text and if i've started a, a joke in this panel then i must finish it in the next whereas genji can yeah it, it, it's willing to take that time and take that extra that extra bit of effort that extra panel just to to kind of keep you waiting and, and then then it lands it yeah 
Um, I must admit, I think that's about all I really have to say about it. Unless you had anything else you were thinking about? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I, I suppose I should ask, like, do you think there will be a Genshin third season? Because they do leave set up, like, with, with Yoshitake's sister, etc., that there could be another generation. Do you think he will? And do you think he should go in for a, a third season of Genshin at some crazy, you know, far-flung future point down the line? I'd like it. I mean, one thing I've always I've, I've enjoyed about um, Kyo Shimoku, the author, is that they kind of keep things separate. I mean, there's a spin-off manga which I can't, which is not available in English legally, called Spotted Flower, which is basically a weird what-if story, and I can't actually kind of recommend it because it's like transposed Genshin characters, and it, it it's weird to read personally, at least. But no, I, I think the one thing I'll say is that I can't remember if this is a direct quote or if it's something um, that someone has said in someone smarter than I has said in. Um, um, in discussion um but the idea was um floated by carl of ogio maniacs blog which is should never go unsaid when there's discussion of genshiken um shout out to ogio maniacs um real good blog if you want to read anything about genshiken quite frankly there's like reams of information and analysis of the series um ongoing and both um retrospective but one thing that's mentioned on that blog is that genshiken acts as a snapshot of fandom culture um which is why second season kind of needs to end at some point as did the first series because as a snapshot it gets more and more dislocated as the series itself takes place in a year but the manga takes several years to come out and so by the time the series is starting to end or is starting to wrap up its picture of what fandom culture is and how people approach it is has become dislocated from what things actually are like the one thing that's good about this series of genshin is that it does allow it a good line to draw under the previous set of characters and then bring in new the new wave who are just who are you know cut off from the previous guard which does allow it its own space so genshin 3 yeah i'd be up for it i mean i'm sure the author can find something like you know fandom's changing all the time it's a terrifying many-headed beast i mean who knows who even knows like maybe there'll be genshin in reddit or something i don't know but yeah I, i totally think that they could do it um I mean, I wasn't sure about second season and I was proven wrong or proven pleasant, pleasantly happy about it. So if there was a third one, sure. I mean, if they ha- if I wouldn't like them to force it, obviously, but if they felt they had a good thing to look at, then totally, I think it could work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was, that was exactly kind of what, what I was going to say, that when Genshin second season started, like I, I raised an eyebrow and thought, I'm not sure they should do that. Like, you know, Genshin was a self-contained thing and I don't really see what value you'll have going back to it. And yeah, I, I was proven wrong on that. So, you know, I, I would be willing to see a few years down the line or, or, or however long it will be if, if if he wants to have another crack at it then you know I, I would definitely be on board with it but uh, yeah I'm also glad you mentioned the kind of you know place in time element of it because yeah again both seasons of Genshin are kind of good time capsules of their eras as far as as fandom goes because I mean on a surface level you know it's just really the references that it throws out you know kind of second season is your sort of back on a gatry manica magica etc etc eras kind of some of the references that i remember that stick with me but it also runs deeper than that in terms of you know the kind of uh, uh, fan culture as a whole you know the the kind of the, the increase in in female fans or in, in certainly in, in terms of kind of uh, female fans being out there and, and up front and center as kind of you know equal in in terms of you know spending power and, and passion to, to their sort of male equivalence which is something that you know has 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 always been there but has always kind of been sort of brushed under the carpet and perhaps ignored in in a way that it simply can't be anymore and and i think kind of the the changes in the cast between the two seasons is, is a really good reflection of that so yeah again that would be something i'd be curious 
I'd be curious to see in a third season just to to see what you know the the author's read will be on whatever anime fandom might be in in five years, and let's 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 hope it's good because you know fandom is not always great. Yeah, agreed. Um, even as someone who is a part of fandom ostensibly, cool. But yeah, as mentioned, um, if you want to hear more about Genshin or read more about Genshin, I recommend heartily the Ogre Maniacs blog. Um, really fascinating analysis ongoing of that series. I think Carl is currently doing a reread of the original Genshin series with like a new sort of look on it because it's been so long so fascinating read but yeah also a quick note and um, there's an anime of genshin second series season which covers the first three four-ish volumes um it's basically a direct transposition of the manga but is very good i think it's very good 13 episodes it's available streaming on crunchyroll i believe at the time of recording so if you if you fancy ingesting it but don't want to read the manga for some reason why you're listening to a manga podcast whatever um i recommend the anime quite a lot i've got the physical version of it behind me somewhere but yeah, yeah that's also very good yeah yeah indeed i i have it as well and yeah it's it's a really good example of, of a really strong adaptation of, of good source material so uh yeah like it's uh I, i'm trying to remember yeah i guess i guess i read it first then watched the anime trying to remember which order it was but either way it's one of those things that like it's enjoyable to to visit twice over in those two different forms for sure yeah one thing about the anime that i know it sounds really stupid but it's really colourful. It's really nice how colourful it is. I really like that about it. Like quite a lot of quite a lot of anime kind of falls into a, a certain palette, but like Genshin second season is really pretty. Um, yeah. like there's a lot of blue sky um, in that series. Yeah, it's, it's also significant to step up from from the original Genshin's anime adaptations in terms of visuals and in some places adaptation as well. So uh, that was a pleasant surprise at the time. Yeah, the original series of Genshin's ad- adaptations are a whole different, like, that'd be an entire other podcast. So we should probably <laughs> just leave that. Cool. Um, so yeah, with that out of the way, that's been Genshin's second season available um, both physically and digitally from Kodansha. And next, we're going to talk about well, what we're going to talk about next time. Um, so each of us um, are going to nominate a series, and we're going to dive into like the first volume or so, um, whatever we feel like reading. Um, for me, I'm going to pick the manga Perfect World, um, which is a Jose title um, put out, I think, by Kodansha. Yes, by Kodansha. Um, currently available on sale because Kodansha have a massive sale for Anime Expo. By the time this releases, it will probably be over. So apologies. Um, but I'm reading, gonna, we're both going to read the first volume of that. Um, I bought it and haven't read it yet, but I keep skimming a few pages through it and going, I should sit down probably and read this. Um, it's primarily about a pair of adults meeting together, childhood like sweethearts, and um, one of them is now in a wheelchair um, due to an unfortunate accident, and how they go from there, how their friendship develops and all that. So looks interesting. Uh, how about you, Andy? Mm, yeah, well, I mean, certainly I'm, I'm actually glad that you picked that because it's certainly one that I've, I've seen kicking around and thought, yeah, that seems like something I should read sometime, but uh, I've never gotten around to it. So uh, you have given me a, a good excuse to do so. Um, but yeah, for my part, um, I have chosen The Promised Neverland Volume 1, which is available uh, from Viz Media digitally. I think it's only on Kindle, if yeah. I recall. Viz are really no. weird about what they release on. So yeah, but it's available on Kindle and Comixology. Mm, indeed so uh i'll admit i have no idea what this is about it's just i keep hearing people talking about it and usually talking about it in hushed tones i also know it has an anime adaptation on the way which again people are talking about in, in hushed tones with the uh, voices of reverence so i figured i should probably find out what the heck this is about and so why not use this podcast as a vehicle to do so totally i hear about it a lot as well and i often see people talking about it in like these sort of oh shit sort of voice of like oh man this series you know that sort of thing where people are like 
obviously biting their tongue because they don't want to come out and say what the thing that happened was but they're like you know people are nodding in your direction going hmm. so yeah if you know if, if you can extrapolate that strange noise into a expression <laughs> i hope that comes out in the audio okay <laughs> oh dear but yeah um one thing we'll do in future um episodes is also talk about upcoming releases um but i haven't been able to quite collate a full list of sources for that yet so i'm going to skip that for this um episode also there doesn't appear to be much so whatever um but yeah so thank you very much for listening if you made it this far um this has been the first episode of screen tone club um once it's made i mean there's gonna be a website available at screentone.club some would even accuse me of having found the url first and then naming the podcast and you'd be correct surely surely not hey man it was almost screentone.party um which would have also been good frankly um we don't have a twitter feed or anything yet because i'm still getting it started um but for personal stuff uh i'm elliot page i have a website available at moesh.it um it i post about manga and stuff there um there's a few bits and pieces there um i published a small a small zine about experiments called fortissimo if you fancy it's got an itch page links are on the website um if you it's like two dollars if you bought it i'd be happy but don't feel pressured um andy how about you uh, yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter, um, where I'm at Hannah's 1979. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Come, come and yell at me for my hot Genshin bad takes if you, if you so wish. <laughs> Just don't get him, yell at me about posters. Uh, uh, yeah, hey, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all good with posters now. I've perfected the poster shipping process, so everything's <laughs> fine. You give someone a Toblerone flashback with it. <laughs> oh, that's a that's an in joke. Sorry, everyone. Okay, but again, thank you very much. This has been episode one of Screen Tone Club, and all things being well, we'll see you in two weeks. So, from me, thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>